Abandoned to Mother, the incredible, emotional, and life-changing transformation we take when we go on our journey into motherhood. From all things conception to postpartum and parenthood, I will be talking with parents and hearing their stories of navigating these times while sharing helpful information along the way. Together, we'll be covering all stories, no matter how you have chosen to conceive, birth, or parent. Let's get into it. Hello, listeners. Before we get into today's episode, I do have to put a content warning on it. We meet Rachel today and she shares in detail the loss of her beautiful boy, Theo, in the third trimester of her pregnancy. If you're at a point in your journey where you find that this can be very confronting, you can save this episode and listen to it at a later time. Hello and welcome to episode four of Maiden to Mother. Today we are speaking with Rachel. Rachel, welcome to the show. How are you going? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks so much for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, Can you tell us a little, could you start by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about yourself and where you live and who's in your family? Yep, so I'm Rachel, I'm from Melbourne um, and that's where we live at the moment. Um, At the moment it's me and my partner and we have a three-year-old little boy um, and we also have another little boy who was still born in December that we still count as our child so we count him in that we've got two boys. So, Absolutely, and your little boy's name? Is Titan and Theo, so Titan is a three-year-old. Yeah, perfect. Well, let's start on your journey with Titan. It's a bit of a long one, so let's Ooh, let's yeah. get cracking on it. <laughs> yeah. So Titan is our little miracle IVF baby. Um, we kind of knew for a while prior that we needed to go down the IVF path. Um, I suffer with endometriosis and polycystic ovaries, and also been diagnosed with adenomyosis, which is um, the exact same as endometriosis except it grows internally so whereas endometriosis is externally so IVF was the best option for us Um, so we started IVF back in 2017 Um, we done a few of the egg retrievals the first rounds I think we got around 20 eggs 10 fertilized and only five made it through all of those five embryos unfortunately didn't work Um, we then did another egg retrieval um and from memory only a few fertilized um and only one made it through and that number one was titan so we were extremely lucky amazing number one yeah so when you like obviously you knew um with the conditions that you had that you were going to go down the ivf route how did you start down that route did you go to the doctor how did you find out um, you know, basically how the journey was going to unfold. Yes, it's actually pretty crazy. So I was seeing my gynecologist at the time um, and she was referring me to all the big IVF companies um, and I thought that was our only shot. And I was actually getting my hair done one day and I was speaking about it to my hairdresser and one of the other girls overheard and she actually told me, I think it was maybe two months prior to that, that she heard and she had a friend that went through an IVF clinic that was bulk billed. Mm-hmm. So I looked into it um, and it was a company that had opened up. Um, there's a company in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane um, and they just opened. So I literally called them straight away, called them straight away, asked them what was the process I need to obviously see them. 
um, they booked us an appointment and we just need to get a referral from our GP, um, which we did that. And when I went in there, I explained my story, um, you know, with all the problems I've had that we've obviously been actively trying to have a baby for a few years. Um, and basically from there, they run a lot of tests and you start the process. So it was pretty, pretty simple um, in that way because I was kind of a bit... Um, how can I put it, a bit gobsmacked with the bigger IVF companies because of the price of everything. Yeah. Because um, at the point in time, my partner and I were saving for a house and we had a deposit for a house and we literally said it's either buying a house or it's IVF because we all know that IVF is extremely expensive and it was just, it was such a hard decision. And then when we come across this bulk billing place, I was just blown away. You still pay a small portion but nowhere near expensive as to what the other ones are. So I was extremely grateful to find them. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's awesome. And how long did, like roughly, did your journey take um, going through IVF? To fall pregnant with a Titan? Yeah. So it took two years. Yeah. yeah. So okay. when I say it took two years, so IVF is time-consuming as well. So... Obviously, when you start, you do the injections. Um, you do the injections to stimulate your ovaries. Obviously, you produce more eggs, um, and that's probably about a two-week thing. Um, and then you get your eggs out. And if you choose to do a frozen cycle, what that means is you get one embryo implanted each month, and it has to go off your cycle. Now they don't just pick a random day. You have to undergo blood testing scans because they have to pick the perfect day from when you ovulate. Um, to obviously implant the embryo um, and if you don't properly ovulate that month or if your levels are off they don't implant the embryo so it's not a sure thing so it's actually a long process too within itself and did you um were you like educated along the way on your IVF journey or did you know things coming in or was the particular clinic that you went to um able to explain everything to you so they were able to explain everything to you, but I kind of feel like um, when I went through it, I didn't know anybody else that was going through it. So mm -hmm. even though they explain a lot of the stuff to you, it's it's a lot to take in. And I kind of found myself sitting there and they'd speak to me and I'd forget everything that they had said. So I actually joined um, some group forums on Facebook for um, IVF just so that I could kind of connect with other girls that were going through the same thing because even though you get it all explained to you by the specialist, you still go home and you're like, what What did they even say kind of thing? Yeah. Um, so it was really good to find those support groups so that you can connect with others so that you guys can kind of compare with each other what's going on and what certain things mean. So that was something that I really recommend to people is, you know, reaching out to other girls that are going through it. And that's another reason why I'm so open about our journey so that Absolutely. I can help others. Yeah, and not be blindsided kind of the way I felt at the start. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Two years into your IVF journey, can you tell us about how you found out that you were pregnant with Titan? Yeah, so when you get an embryo um, implanted, you get a blood test two weeks from that day via IVF um, to see if you're pregnant. They tell you not to do at home tests because um, it drives you nuts. Like mm -hmm. I don't think I've ever met anyone that hasn't done a home no. test. <laughs> so um, I pretty much, I think all the embryos prior to Titan, I was testing all the time and then it got to Titan. I was like, no, I'm not going to test. 
Um, I think it was day nine after the embryo was implanted. I woke up that morning and I was like, something feels weird. Like I just felt weird. Um, and I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'll just do a test. And I did a test and God, it even gets me like emotional now. Um, pregnant, like as the first time I've seen a positive pregnancy test. And I just still remember I was shaking. I was like jumping up and down, crying. Like I even remember calling my partner um, and he was in the work truck with all of his boys. And I knew the boys could hear me, but I didn't care. And I just told him that he was going to be a dad. Amazing. And how did, how did he react with all the boys oh, around? <laughs> he was literally cheering. Like he was cheering. And instantly he said to me that it was a boy. Like he, he was like, it's not a girl, it's a boy, but it's just, that's something that that feeling is something that I will never forget. Cause when you have something you want so bad, and even when you have doctors and everyone tell you it's never going to happen to have it happen. I, yeah, I could not explain that feeling. Like it was like the whole world just stopped for a bit. So it's something that I will always remember. It's such a nice memory. Yeah. That leads us on then to your pregnancy with Titan. How was your pregnancy? So I had a completely normal pregnancy. Um, so I obviously got early bleeding with Titan. Um, I think it was at five weeks, 10 weeks and 12 and a half weeks. Um, I've got a negative blood type. So I'm not sure if anybody knows um, much about this, but if a pregnant girl's got a negative blood type um, and if the baby's got a positive blood type, it's almost like your body tries to kill the baby in a way because the bloods don't match up. So yeah. you have to get what it's called as an anti-D injection. Um, so I had to get that a few times. Other than that, everything was fine. Um, pregnancy was normal, morning sickness, all the good parts. Um, and then I got to my 20-week scan where they found I had a shortened cervix. Now, mm. I have never heard, like I'd never heard about this before. I literally thought once you get to the 12-week scan, you're basically safe because, you know, that's what everyone says. Yeah. Um, and they were explaining to me because we we're actually meant to fly out to Port Douglas the following day and they said, you can't go anywhere, you're going into surgery now. And I was like, hang on, whoa, 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 what's going on? Um, and they basically explained to me that my cervix was shortened and it was funneling and basically what that means is that your cervix was open so you could go into labour at any time. Um, so what they did with surgery is they put a cervical stitch in. Um, so essentially that was to hold my cervix shut and then I was put on bed rest from then on. Um, it was quite confronting because I had a lot of doctors and nurses telling me that Titan wouldn't survive, that he'd be born before 24 weeks. Um, I've got all these situations thrown at me. Um, and we actually made it to 26 weeks where I went into preterm labour with Titan. Um, I went to my local hospital where I was getting steroid injections for his lungs um, and they did a certain swab test on me which would show if I was going to go into labour soon, which it showed that. Um, so they rushed me off to a hospital. Um, I think it was called like a tertiary hospital. It's basically where they have um, an ICU for babies. Mm -hmm. um, so I was literally in hospital from 26 weeks till about 30 weeks. Um, so being in hospital away from my partner, I think, oh yeah, I was about an hour away from home. Um, so it was extremely hard. And then I basically said to my partner, I'm coming home for a few days, like I'm over it. And I come home for two days and then I was in the kitchen making chicken stir fry and I bent over and my water's broke. 
So I was 30 oh. weeks. Wow. Yeah, I was freaking out. We went to hospital and long story short, Titan was, he stayed in my belly for a further five days, I think. Um, and then about, I think at three o'clock in the morning, I woke up to contractions and I started bleeding too. So I called the nurse. They told me that I was constipated and gave me sleeping tablets and painkillers and told me to go back to sleep, which oh I my think, God. yeah, anyone <laughs> who's in labor knows you just can't go back to sleep. Mm. Um, so I got to, I think it was about 10.30 in the morning. So I'd started being in labor since three o'clock that morning and then it got to about 10, 10.30. I was actually in hospital with this really nice girl who I'm still friends with now um, and she was basically abusing the nurses, telling them, going, she's in labour. Uh, they took me to birth suite and I was dilated. So I was like, thanks, ladies, I'm not constipated. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely labour. Um, so it was a bit scary because obviously being 30 weeks, it is quite a while away before they are full term. Um mm. So it was extremely full on because in the birthing suite, it wasn't just say like your midwife and doctor, there was over 10 people in the room. Um, you had certain people there for Titan's brain, um, you know, and then there was other people there to help him to breathe when he was born. Um, I ended up getting the epidural, I think when I was seven centimeters, cause I'm not a hero. I take my hat off to girls who <laughs> can give birth without it. My God, you guys are troopers. <laughs> Um, but then I actually got to have a nap and then the nurses were obviously monitoring Titan's heartbeat um, and all of that through the ultrasound. And then they come in and told me, hey, it's time to push. Um, as I was trying to push, um, my body went into shock because when my waters broke, he obviously stayed in there for five days. Yeah. Um, and over the course of that, you know, you have the midwives obviously, you know, do the whole cervical check and everything. So they actually developed um, an infection in my belly. Mm -hmm. So during labour, my temperature spiked. Um, I was not in a good way. Titan was stuck in my birth canal. Um, I couldn't breathe. I was like having a, a seizure as I was trying to give birth to him. Um, so basically the fact that I'm alive and the fact that Titan's alive is a miracle within itself um they were able to save him because he was born not breathing um, was he was he born vaginally then or did they take you to a c-section no so i was able to deliver him naturally i just needed extra help so they obviously had to cut me and they used forceps because he was stuck in my birth canal so thankfully they were able to get him out yeah um so they just basically did whatever they could to um help him and um i still remember the look on tyson's face when he was born because i obviously didn't get tightened on my chest they literally held him up in the air um and i remember looking at him and he was just lifeless um and it was like the whole room just stopped because you know you didn't hear that sound you didn't hear anything and he was so little and um, I remember laying there with my partner, like I was obviously, you know, I was a wreck, you know, I couldn't breathe and everything. And then I heard just this little, this little sound that he made. And oh my God, that is a feeling again, that I will never forget just to know that he was alive. So, oh my God, pretty full on, but then he got taken away from me straight away, obviously being born prem. So it wasn't nice. Yeah. And so was he taken then? Um, straight to the NICU? Yeah, so he got taken straight there um, where they obviously put all the drips in his arms and everything. He was in his little incubator. So Titan was born at 2.17am. Um, I was finally able to get wheeled over there and see him. I think it was 7.30 in the morning. So I couldn't hold him. 
I could only put my hand through like the incubator. It uh, wasn't till later on during that day I was able to hold him, but it was only for like half an hour because obviously being that small, they can't generate their own body heat. Um, so there's a lot to it. Um, but, yeah, it was something I'll never forget when I held him for the first time. So it was just extremely hard because you had to ask nurses if it was okay to hold your own son. So it was pretty yeah, pretty full on. How long was he in the NICU for then? He was in NICU for five days and then he got moved to the special care nursery where he was there for a further five weeks. Oh, wow. So he's in hospital for, yeah, about six weeks. Yeah. yeah. All up. Pretty full on. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing I've always wondered with this situation, obviously you've had like a high-risk pregnancy and a baby in the NICU. Yep. What happened with were you working at the time or or did you stop working when you had to go to hospital for that month before he was born? So I count myself so lucky because me and my partner run a business and I was working from home. Um, so oh, I was the office admin. Yes, yeah, so I was able like he obviously told me, don't even worry about work, look after yourself. We're being stuck in the hospital for that long during the day. I was like, no, give me my computer, give me the work phone. So I was able to work. Um, but I just feel for a lot of girls that, you know, obviously that have other jobs, if that happened to them, you know, mm. what happens? Yeah. I mean, they, so, you, you can't work, can you? That's it. Exactly. Because were you, when um, Titan was in the NICU, were you at the hospital pretty much most days, all day? Every day. So it got really hard because I wanted to stay overnight with him. Um, there was so, so many things that I wanted to be there for, like his first nappy change, his first feed, which I obviously couldn't be there for. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was extremely hard to, to give birth and to leave the hospital without your baby. That was something I'll never forget. Um, I remember I couldn't wait to get out of hospital and just to come home. But when it got time to actually getting in the car, to come home, I just started bawling because just leaving your child there, it's just not nice. So I was able to go in there every day. Um, thankfully, I had a natural birth so I could drive pretty much straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I took my computer in and off I went. So I wanted to stay there, but, you know, they don't really offer you a bed. So you basically have a chair you can sleep in next to his incubator, which it's, yeah, it's not that ideal. Yeah, yeah. Because he was obviously in the incubator, what happened with your breastfeeding, Germany? Did you want to breastfeed or, you know, how was that affected? So I was set on even before I gave birth that I didn't want to breastfeed. Yeah. Um, and even him being prem, even if I did want to breastfeed, that was going to be proven really hard because they actually get fed through a nasal tube. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't have a lot of food at that point in time. Um, I did give him colostrum through a syringe um, because obviously being prem, you know, it's good It's good stuff to have for his little belly, yeah. um, which I wasn't even aware, like this is how silly I was at the time, but obviously being my first child, um, I didn't know that obviously if you pump for colostrum that your milk comes in. Um, even mm. when the nurses knew I didn't want to breastfeed, so... My milk all of a sudden come in, then I got mastitis. So, again, I take my hat off to women who breastfeed their kids. Um, It's, you know, I think it would be such a hard hard job to do. So, 
Yeah. Yeah, for something so natural, it definitely doesn't come natural to a lot of people. It, it is very hard breastfeeding. Yeah. Breastfeeding I've, is heard, I've seen a lot of friends go through it too and I honestly take my hat off to them. So obviously it was quite a difficult situation with Titan being in the hospital and you having to leave him every day. How did you cope? Yeah. Um, I don't think I really coped. I think I every time I left I just kept focusing on the next day. So I never just come home and sat down. Um, every time I'd come home, I'd either clean or I'd cook or I'd do anything I could to make that night go faster because I knew the second I got to go to sleep, the second I woke up, I was on my way to go and see him. So it it was still hard because you'd be sitting there at night time and you'd be wondering, is he okay? You'd be wondering if the people that are looking after him, if they're doing a good job. It's It's just, and I think being a mother as well, when you're away from your kid, it doesn't matter if they've just been born. You develop that instant bond to them and that connection. Mm-hmm. And if they're not with you, you're not right yourself. So um, I honestly don't know how I got through that. Um, it sounds bad, but on the nights that I couldn't sleep, I would drink wine. Like you would just try and do anything you could. It's Yeah, it's not something that was nice. But they did give me a direct phone line um, to the person who was looking after Titan like at night time. So if I felt uneasy, I was able to give them a call. They would give me an update, how he's doing, what he's doing. So that was really helpful. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Were you were you birthing through the public hospital in Melbourne? Yes, I was. So originally the hospital we picked. So um, I am glad. So you can kind of pick your hospital, but obviously it goes off on your zone. But um, the one that picked us was the one that we wanted um because it was where tyson was born um mm-hmm. but we obviously couldn't birth there because they weren't a tertiary hospital yeah so we obviously got transferred to another one which was yeah through the public yeah and were they good did they look after you as well oh yeah they were like they were absolutely amazing they were so um what's the word they just took your feelings into account with everything they were so respectful with everything um they were just beautiful people like the nurses there they were absolute angels that's amazing what hospital is that it's called the monash the monash in melbourne yep yep so that's where they've also got the children's hospital as well yeah connected to that hospital tell us about the day that you finally were able to bring titan home oh even that brings tears (laughs) my let it all Um, out yeah (laughs) So halfway through his stay at Monash, um, when Titan got stable enough, we were actually able to get him transferred to a hospital closer to home. So we got him transferred to the hospital we were going to birth at. Um, So I was obviously in there all the time. Um, And then so there were a few hurdles that Titan had to get over. He basically had to learn how to bottle feed. Mm -hmm. Being born that early, they don't know how to swallow. So we had to teach him all of that. So in order for Titan to come home, he had to have a bottle feed, every feed for a whole 24 hours. Um, when he did, when you've got a little one in there, special care, you then spend one night in hospital with your little one. So you stay over the room um, so that the nurses can help you with everything and then you're able to go home the next day. Um, so that was a feeling I will never forget, like the seeing him in his little capsule, you know, your partner carrying it down the hallway and mm. you've got to bring him home. 
introducing him to the dogs like it was just I felt so lucky that he was alive he was healthy and he was home with us Mm. and that was what six six weeks after he was born it was about five I think it was five and a half weeks because he was he was just under 36 weeks gestation when he was able to come home Mm. so yeah about five and a half to six weeks and then how did you guys settle in once he was home oh that that was um I don't think anyone can kind of prepare you for what it's like to have a newborn. Mm. <laughs> it's like, you know, you have everybody tell you, sleep while well you can because when you have a baby, you don't sleep at all and you think, oh, no, nah, I'll be right. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> I also found it super hard with Titan sleeping because when he's in their special care, they obviously, you know, sleep there at night. The lights are all on 24 hours a day. They've got music on. They get fed every one to two hours because of how young they are. So they wake him up. So when we brought Titan home, he was getting fed every two hours and he was waking up every two hours no matter what. Yeah. Um, so that I don't think nothing can prepare you for sleep deprivation. Mm. I think I can speak for most mums that, you know, the worst part is the sleep deprivation. It's next level. Yeah, it it can be really, really rough those first few weeks. Yeah. My advice to anyone is if if people offer you help, take it. Oh, take take it. every bit of help. Someone comes take over and it. says, let me put a load of washing on. You let them damn well put oh, a load of washing on for it. you. You do it. Or if it's like you want to have a shower by yourself, do it. Without having a baby in the bathroom, do it. Yeah, absolutely. After the initial, I guess, newborn um complications yeah um was how was he after you know a few weeks being at home was were things I guess different from having a premie baby absolutely so we um tighten because a lot of the bacteria in his gut wasn't properly formed as well so tighten ended up getting colic mm-hmm. um he actually had colic for just under I feel like nine months um, no. And when I say colic, I mean screaming between 16 to 19 hours a day. We went to the doctors, I don't know how many times. We tried everything. I joined all these support groups, anything they said to try, we tried. We spent so much money on trying different things. The only thing that I found that helped us, that we found, and that I've told others about and has helped them, there's a brand of the formula it's called Novolac. Mm-hmm. Um, they have different ranges so some are for reflux or if your little one's got an allergy or there's one for colic did you say Um, that was formula yeah yeah um and so we got him the formula the novolac colic and it helped and oh my god that was just a blessing in a can for us so yeah um i had a lot of friends with their babies who suffered either with reflux or allergies um and they tried it and it helped so that was just a godsend Oh, it's amazing. And yeah. so Titan, how old is he now? Three? He is three. Yeah. And how's he going now? He's amazing. So obviously being prem, um, you know, you worry about their health if they're going to be behind. Um, and now the only thing, he is healthy. He is happy. So that is all that we could wish for. He's only a little bit smaller, but he's catching up now. So you wouldn't even know that he's prem. 
Yeah. Wouldn't no, even know. Absolutely so not. Not not he, by looking at him. That's it. He he is thriving. So it was extremely hard to get him. It was extremely hard giving birth to him and all of that, but it is so worth it. Like we're so lucky that he's here. Mm, amazing. He's lucky yeah. to have you guys as parents. That's it. Let's move on to Theo now. Um, yep. Can you tell us a bit about your conception and planning with Theo? Yep. So um, we obviously had to do IVF again to get Theo. Um, we did a round of IVF um, and it didn't work. I actually had a miscarriage, um, a very early miscarriage with IVF, so that was devastating. Mm. Um, after that, I kind of said to my partner, you know, because my tummy issues were getting worse again, and I said to my partner, let's just get surgery done to clear out my endometriosis, everything else to give us the best possible chance to conceive with IVF. Um, and now because we tightened, because he was born prem, because obviously my shortened cervix, um, there's a procedure that you can get done before you fall pregnant. You get a cervical surclage in surgically and it sits at the top. So I chose to get that. So I chose to do everything I possibly could before doing IVF again to give our next baby the best chance. Um, we decided to seek out a private surgeon. I said to Tyson, I don't care about the money. Let's pay for it. Let's get it done. So we did. Um, the first round of IVF we did after that surgery, it worked. Um, I actually did a test on day three post-transfer and I seen the fate line. Um, wow. And I tested each day. Yeah, it was crazy. And each day that I tested, the line would get darker and darker and darker. And it was it was actually such a beautiful experience to see, obviously, like your HCG level rise. And then with IVF, um, you get an ultrasound done at six and a half weeks. Mm -hmm. see that there's a viable heartbeat and basically once you reach that milestone that's when you go off to your own doctor yeah um i was classified as a high risk pregnancy so i was getting monitored heaps i was getting scans done every two weeks um i was Were you so classified nervous. as high risk because of your shortened cervix and your yes um pregnancy yeah. with titan yeah correct yeah so that was good in a way because they were on the ball with everything. I was getting my cervix measured every scan um, and I was nervous as about my 20-week scan because that's obviously when we found out the bad news about Titan, but everything was fine. My pregnancy was so different the second time around. I wasn't sick. Um, I was, you know, I was obviously tired, you know, the usual things, but everything was fine. Um, I just felt like it was really easy and breezy and um, I think I got to had my last scan at 28 weeks everything was fine Theo was showing that he was a tiny bit small but they said to me not to worry because you know obviously it's hard to tell like babies mm. always are either are they're a Big. bit smaller on the scan or they're Big or bigger small. on the scan yeah. yeah so everything was fine um and then it got to me and my partner wanted to go away for the weekend like we go away the same weekend each year in December and we left on a Friday um, and I remember waking up and because he was, he was such an active baby like kicking me all the time I just constantly I remember getting up in the morning and I'd only felt him move just a little bit and you know how you google everything you know you yeah jump on google um, and it did say that um babies can sometimes have a quiet day um in the womb so I didn't think much of it we're in the car and it was about a three-hour drive and I remember feeling his last kick. It was, I remember exactly where we were and it was just a little light kick. Um, and then I didn't feel him 
for the rest of the day. And I said to my partner, you know, I feel like something's wrong. Um, and he goes, you know, everything will be fine, you know, don't stress. And then it got to the sat day. I didn't feel him. And I said to my partner, in the morning, we've got to pack up our stuff. We've got to go home. Something's not right. Like, you know, being you, you know your own body, you know when something's not mm. right. Um, and being pregnant as well, that far on, you can basically make your baby kick on cue. So yeah. if I would lay like a certain way or if I'd drink a certain drink, you'd have them move and kick. I was doing everything I could and I couldn't sleep the night before and being all the COVID restrictions down here in Melbourne, um, we I had to go to the hospital by myself because I obviously had to go into a birth suite because I told them I hadn't, you know, felt my baby move. And because we had Titan, we didn't have anyone to look after him at the time. Mm-hmm. So Tyson couldn't come with me. So I had to find out that little Theo had passed away on my own. Um, and it was only until we found out that he'd passed that they would then allow Tyson and Titan in. So that was... Oh, I couldn't, that was possibly just the worst thing. And I think finding out that Theo had passed away by myself, um, you know, like when they say to you, you know, it might be hard to find their heartbeat. And it's like, no, when you're that far along, it's easy to find. And yeah. I just knew, I just knew. Were they looking for his heartbeat? Um, did they have the straps around you or were they? Um, yes. Yep. Yeah. So the first, so they, come in and said that they were going to try and find his heartbeat via that way. Mm-hmm. They did explain to me that the midwives sometimes can't find it and it's normal, but I was like, no, I remember with Titan, the second they put it on, it's quite easy to find. Um, they did that and she couldn't find it. And she goes, it's okay, you know, I'll go and get the doctor. And I think four of them come in the room and I'm like, here we go. Like, that's not good. Yeah. Um, so she's she's gone out and got the doctor and four yeah. have come back. Four of them have come in. And, and sorry, you know how that, far along were you at this stage? I was 30 weeks. 30 weeks, yeah. Um, and they come in obviously with a bedside ultrasound. Mm-hmm. Um, then I had this really beautiful midwife. She come in and she grabbed my hand and I was like, you're grabbing my hand. You wouldn't be grabbing my hand if this wasn't going to be bad. Um, and I remember the poor lady doing the scan. Like, this is one thing I feel bad for. The people on the other end, she was doing the scan. They obviously didn't have the screen facing me. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at her face and everyone was silent. And her face, she was trying so hard to find a heartbeat. And you could see it processing in her head. She didn't know what to say. She didn't know how to start the conversation. And all I said to her was, he's not okay, is he? And she just shook her head and that was it. I knew. So it was uh, the silence in the room. It, like I, I still remember I could hear my heartbeat. Like it was just thumping. That's how silent the room was. Um, but I also felt for all of them because how do you kind of comfort someone in that position that has just lost their baby? Mm. So, but they did well. I mean, it shows a bit of about of a person who you are just being worrying about the other people in the room and how they felt. Looking I mean, back now, I do, yeah. So at the time it was kind of I didn't see anything and all I wanted was Tyson and it was so hard for him because I was texting Tyson just before the scan came in. I've still got it in my thing and I was saying to him, they can't find a heartbeat um, and I was telling Tyson how scared I was and he was writing back saying he's petrified too. 
that was the last time he heard from me um, because obviously I couldn't speak. Um, and they called Tyson and told him to come in and, you know, they obviously don't deliver bad news over the phone. So they just yeah. said to him, you know, you and Titan need to come in. So he knew. But the worst part was having him walk through the door because you just, it's, yeah, it's just really, really hard to see, I think, your partner when you know what you've lost. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So he knew walking through the door. Yeah. Yep. And he knew. Yeah. I was and, a wreck, so he knew. And to obviously be called in there by the nurses, because um, I think I think if I remember correctly, Tyson actually asked the nurse. He goes, he's gone, isn't he? And they said they couldn't tell him, but it's best for him to come in. So basically when they say that, you know. Yeah. So, um, but, yeah, it was... It was obviously hard because, again, at the time, we didn't have anyone to help with Titan, so Titan had to come with him um, and he saw me beside myself. So, mm. And the poor little thing didn't understand what was going on. So it was extremely hard through the COVID times, you know, when you can't have people in there and yeah. certain rules. So it's pretty full on. And so what was the next step? Um, so once after? they did that, once they did that, um, once I'd calmed down, they then explained to me, because I had the cervical cerclaging, that meant mm -hmm. I cannot give birth naturally because my cervix is always closed. So mm -hmm. I knew even before that that when I fell pregnant it was going to be a C-section. Um, and I remember just laying there and they were telling me that they need to do all these blood tests because before you get a C's you need to get all these tests done. Then they started speaking about autopsies and I'm looking at them and I didn't speak. I was just so overwhelmed because then they started telling me, you know, you need to organise funeral arrangements. And I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, what? What What are you talking about kind of thing? But I remember when they said autopsy, me and my partner at the exact same time without even talking about it, we said don't touch him. When he's born, we don't want him touched because um to us he was our little boy and he always will be and the last thing we wanted is him being cut open we just wanted him to be as is um yeah. so then so the next step they then said to us we needed to go get a proper ultrasound downstairs to to actually confirm that he's gone um so we went into the proper ultrasound room with the sonographer um and obviously the screen was right in front of us um, and I bawled my eyes out the entire way through because watching the screen, like, you know, yourself, when you go in and see your baby on the screen, they're like jumping around, yeah. moving and stuff. There was nothing. There was no heartbeat. There was no blood flow. There was nothing. So that was extremely hard to see him just still, um, on the scans. And then once that was done, we went back to the room. Um, they told me to go home that night. Um, they were telling me to pack a bag, you know, because I had to come back in the morning and have the Caesar. They were telling mm. me to bring an outfit for Theo to wear. And um, it was so overwhelming because, you know, what do you bring to the hospital for your deceased child? So it was extremely hard. Um, and we obviously had to go there the next day, got admitted, um, and what I didn't know is that when your baby, obviously when you're that far along and your baby dies, after a while your body will recognise that and they'll try and put your body into labour. 
Mm-hmm. So I was meant to go in, I think at about nine o'clock in the morning, they said to me the night before that if I start bleeding or start having contractions, I need to go in there straight away because of my situation. And I started having little contractions from 3 a.m. Um, and I called them early um, and they told me to come straight in. So I got pushed straight in. Um, and they explained to me about Theo that when a baby has been passed away in your belly for a while, that their skin colour might be different. Um, There was a lot of confronting things. They said that his skin might be black. So when I was getting the Caesar done, I had that many complications. It was extremely hard. Um, And they told me that Theo was out. Um, They asked if I wanted to hold him. And at the time, you're so overwhelmed. I was petrified of what I was going to see. I was so scared. I didn't know what what to expect um and i told them that they said they'd take a photo on my phone of his skin so i could see it first which they did Mm -hmm. um and thankfully his um skin was fine they then asked me if i wanted to hold him again um and i said i couldn't i said can you just stitch me up can we get back up to the room um and then i will so i literally had to watch them put a sheet over him and wheel him away and that's one of my biggest regrets. And if I could say it to anyone who ever goes through it, as confronting as all of that is, um, I would hold them, hold them as soon as you can for as long as you can. Because that's my biggest regret is that I didn't hold him the second he was born. Mm. Um, and I obviously had to wait a little while um, to hold him because they had to get my pain under control. And there's just, there's so much when you have a stillborn baby that they don't warn you about, um, that I think it is so important. It needs to be spoken about so people are aware of it because it can be quite confronting. Yeah. So. And so after your C-section, you were stitched up, taken back to your room, and then did they bring Theo up to you so you could have a hole? Yeah, so I was then put in what's called a butterfly room um so it's a room that's across from the birth suite but you're out of there so you're in one room and the room next to you is where your baby will be um Mm -hmm. so when i was in bed and everything you know i was sitting there waiting um and they said you know we'll bring him in when you're ready i think that's the hardest call you make because you want to see them you want to hold them but you're also petrified of what you're going to see or how it's going to feel um and they brought him in um and I remember when they were wheeling him in, obviously because he was lifeless, he was just shaking everywhere. And they picked him up and put him on me. And your instant reaction to feeling their skin because it's cold, you want to warm them up straight away. That's your automatic mm. reaction. But being a stillborn, you actually can't have heat to their skin. So it goes against all of your instincts, How like what you have to do and how you have to be around them. Why Um, is that, that they can't? So in order to keep their body um, not decompose, I think, if that's the word, yeah, um, you have to try and keep it as cold for as long as you can so you can kind of spend a bit more time with them. Right. Because obviously with a deceased body, if if there's coldness, it kind Mm -hmm. of stays as is. I think that's the best way to describe it. So that was hard because... 
when you feel your baby's skin or anyone, you feel them cold, you want to warm them up. So yeah. that was hard for me. Um, they did offer skin-to-skin contact, which I did have that, but only with his head. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a lot of full-on things, um, like when their body starts, you know, it's already shut down, but they'll bleed from the nose. So this was a lot of stuff that I didn't get told before. I only got told as it was happening. Yeah. So that was quite confronting um, as it was. Um, my partner, we I don't think we've even told anyone this, um, my partner couldn't even hold him, which, you know, it was extremely hard for him. That was his way of dealing with it, which I completely understood. Mm. Like he stood by me, he held me. Um, but then I didn't know that you could take your little one home with you for a few days. No one told me that until after. Wow. Yeah. So I never knew that. I only found that out when I connected with other women that had been through the same thing. So you're actually allowed to take your child home with you for a few days before they have to go off. So I didn't know that. Um, I'm not sure in my situation if it would have made a difference, um, Mm -hmm. but it still would have been nice to know. But the nurses were amazing. Um, they were telling me, you know, that they'll take photos. And at the time I was like, why would I want photos like that? Yeah. To pull on? And they're telling me like family photos. I'm thinking, what, what, what do you mean? And I got not angry, but I was like, no, leave me alone. And they kept working on it, which I'm so glad they did because they obviously deal with this a lot. Mm. They kept pushing it with me and I actually agreed to it. And I'm so glad I did because those photos, I hold on to them so dearly now. And I thank those nurses even to this day that I've got those photos because without them, it's like, they're beautiful you know, I feel like yeah, that's it. So throughout all of this, um, yeah. I mean, obviously you knew that you were going in for the C-section the night before. Did you tell your family? Yeah. So I... I remember texting, oh, no, I actually called my mum straight away. She knew when I was, like, bawling my eyes out, she knew something was wrong and I told her. Um, but I only told my mum and my partner only told his dad. We didn't really want heaps of people to know yeah. straight away um, because obviously, you know, it's you're trying to process it yourself and, you know, everybody will want to know questions but you don't even have the answer to those yeah. questions yet. So we only told just a few people, um, and that was it, really. So were you able to have someone take care of Titan that next day? So I, we actually didn't, but I actually emailed the campus director at Titan's Childcare um, and asked if he could have an emergency day, which I'm so grateful for her because she checked her email straight away and she called me instantly. Um, and I was just grateful because... Tyson was able to drop him off first thing and then he was able to come in to me. So we knew that Titan was looked after. Mm. Um, So we're extremely grateful for that. So it's hard when you don't have that family help. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So how long uh, did you spend with Theo in the hospital? So he was there with us and I think Tyson left that day at around 4 o'clock to go get Titan. and they put Theo obviously in the next room and I kind of just, once Tyson had left, everyone was out of my room, I literally just laid there and I was 
just trying to take everything in and then I just wanted him in my arms. So mm. I buzzed the nurses um, and I said, you know, I just want to have a moment with him on my own. Um, so I was able to not say goodbye to him because I didn't, I didn't see it that way. I just wanted to spend time with him and I just wanted to talk to him and tell him, you know, how perfect I thought he was. And one of the biggest things I made a promise to him that I wouldn't, I wouldn't let myself lose myself over the death of him because I didn't want his death to be in vain and I wouldn't let this experience turn me bitter. Um, and I made him those promises. I also played him songs that I played him when he was in my tummy. Um, so that part for me was so special because I just got to spend that time with him um, by myself. Um, he could have stayed there all night with me in the next room, but. I couldn't bear that thought. Um, the only reason why I couldn't bear that thought was because his poor little body was, you know, just shutting down. Mm. So there was certain things happening to him and I, f I didn't find it cruel. I just, I thought it's not right. So I was constantly having to wipe the blood from his nose and his poor little head. Like I was just like, this is, so the hardest part was having to make the call for them to take him away, obviously, down to the morgue. Yeah. Um, that was the worst thing I think I've ever had to do. Um, like, I wanted to spend all night with him. I, you know, I was going to stay awake the entire night and just hold him. But I found it almost, yeah, almost, yeah, that it would have been cruel to do that because it just, yeah, it wasn't nice for him, if that made sense. Hmm. Um, so the social worker there she was amazing like when they were speaking about the funeral this a funeral that i've just looked at her and i go i can't call anyone and she goes no no, no. like she done everything for us we told her what we wanted she made all those phone calls that day um and i think it was the following day um the funeral home come and picked theo up from the hospital the nurses and the social worker always made sure someone was with him so yeah. this is what I loved about them. Like even when he was in the next room, when I needed a break, I didn't want him to be alone. Like, and I know that some people might have find that stupid, but I didn't want Theo to be alone if I couldn't be there. So these nurses literally went in there and held him the entire time. Not because oh they had God. to, but because they wanted to. Uh, they were just amazing. And when the funeral home come the next day to pick Theo up, they all walked him out. And That's because amazing. I obviously couldn't, I couldn't do it, but it was just the support that the nurses and the social workers have. Like I say to anyone and everyone, if they offer it, take it, yeah. take it. And so after that, um, you obviously had to let your family know yeah. how long then was Theo's funeral. Um, so when they were saying funeral, we were like, what do you mean? What having a funeral for an unborn baby, it just didn't seem like something to fit us. And they said, no, what they meant was to either decide if he, if he, if you wanted to bury him or get him cremated. So yeah. what me and my partner did, we instantly chose, we wanted him cremated and to mm -hmm. be home with us. Yeah. So the funeral home come, come and seen us the day we're home, um, we organised everything, paid for everything, um, you know, I, and then you have to pick out urns and all of that. So we got that sorted. Theo's at home with us in his urn. That's how it's going to be. Um, 
my partner and I were going to do our own thing with each other to kind of say goodbye to him. Mm-hmm. Granted, we haven't done that. Um, I don't know why we haven't done it. We just haven't spoken about it. I think it's because we're both not ready to, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Because how long ago did Theo pass away? So he passed away on the 6th of December last yeah. year. So, yeah, just over six months. Something we've spoken about offline, I guess, yep. is something we wanted to share with um, people listening is talking to someone about the loss of a child is a hard subject to talk about. Um, could you yeah. share some advice with people listening on what they could say or, you know, what you found comfort in of what people would say to you? How would they support you yep. um, in a good way? So the biggest thing that helped us, um, we had, like, this was amazing, especially the toddler being at home and you having to show up for them. The last thing you want to do is go to the shops to cook dinner. I had the most loveliest people drop constant food off to our gate, Um, fruit for Titan. They went above and beyond to basically help us get anything we needed so that we could stay home and away from the world because... Um, you basically just want to be where you're comfortable. Um, and a lot of the time, what has helped me with friends talking to us is actually speaking about Theo. Um, Mm. that's what we found comforting because it's when I feel like when you lose a child, um, your world stops constantly, but people around you, their world keeps going. So you kind of feel like in a way that your child's been forgotten about via other people. So when you're, when my friends have spoken about Theo to me, I love it because people remember him. It's yeah. keeping his memory alive. So um, even though a lot of people might think not talking about them is good, I would suggest to touch on the subject lightly and to speak about them and to let the bereaved parents speak about their child because it's a way for them to cope it's a way for them to grieve and it's a way for them to really feel like that just because their child is gone, they're still here. That's what's important. Mm. Amazing. Thank yeah. You. Did the hospital um, offer any sort of services or like, you know, mental health services or? Um, Absolutely. Any... Yeah. Yeah. So one one of the biggest ones they offered um, was a place called Sands Australia. Um, so it's for bereaved parents. They also put us in contact with Red Nose Australia. Like they gave me a whole booklet. The social worker gave us a booklet on counselling services and a lot of the services were free, which also helps. Um, they also gave separate services to the father as well because I feel like in situations like this, a lot of people forget that the father's actually going through it as well. So mm. even though a lot of the times, you know, the males don't like to talk because they don't want to stay strong for their partner, it is still good to know that there are services out there for them as well. So they gave us all the information. So I've found a lot of comfort through Red Nose Australia and through Sands Australia. Um, you can also connect with other bereaved parents through them as well. Um, so I found that that has helped heaps. Now these counselling services as well are 24 hours. They have a lifeline there. So 
if you literally wake up at three o'clock in the morning, you beside yourself, you just want to speak to someone, they've got a phone number you can call and you can speak to them straight away. So that's one thing that I find so important that there is somebody always there for you regardless. Mm. That's amazing. And, and they also offer home visits too. So they offer so much. Um, so I find that so important because sometimes it's sometimes easy to speak to someone you don't know and you can't see so you can speak to them on the phone or, you know, just everything that they offer, it's so helpful. And what we do is um, get all those services off you and um, post them for yeah, people of course. to be able to have access to. Six months on, now you and Tyson are going through IVF again. Can Correct. you tell us a bit about your journey so far? Yeah, so we actually just did an egg retrieval yesterday. Um, so this was a huge thing for me because obviously when we lost Theo, I, it took me, I don't know, I think it was the first week I was sitting there and I thought, I really thought that Titan was going to have a little brother to play with. He was going to have a sibling and having that taken away. And I said to Tyson, I thought that was the last time we we're going to have to endure IVF. Um, but I literally put in my head, I'm petrified to be going through this again. I'm scared to my core, but I look at Titan and I think he deserves a sibling. And I know Theo would want us to have another baby. So we've mm. started the IVF journey. Um, we, Obviously can't start embryo transfers till 12 months after our Caesar, but we're able to do an egg retrieval now to have our embryos frozen so that we can start the process uh, December or January. Um, I'm completely petrified, to be honest, but in the back of my head, I just keep thinking of Theo. Like, I'm not going to let his death be in vain. I'm not going to let losing him change the course of us having more kids, if that makes sense, because... I know he would want us to have more. So it's going to be a hard road, but we're going to get there. You're amazing. You're such Thank a strong you. mama. Thank you. I've loved watching your journey unfold. I've always been in awe of how strong you've been through it and been such a good mum to Titan and Theo. Oh, thank you so much. It means the world. So I guess we wanted to go over a little bit um, on some costs uh, on yep. your IVF journey just to help yep. um, other women there who may be going through the same thing. So the company that you're going through, um, that's Bulk Build, you mentioned yep. it was Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane. Is that right? Correct. So they're called Adora Fertility. Adora. Um, yep, A-D-O-R-A. So they were originally called Primary IVF, but they had a name change a few years ago. So basically how to explain the prices um, with the other mainstream IVF places to do a rough estimate, to do a cycle through them, say it'd be about 12 grand. Whereas through Adora to do a cycle, it's about two grand. So yeah. that is a huge, huge difference. Um, so, and a lot of the services are bulk build. So you basically only have to pay for your medications um some of the blood tests your embryo transfers and the day surgery on the day for your um egg retrieval but the prices you know comparing two grand to 12 grand you know it's a no-brainer oh, and it also helps so many couples because you know having to pop out 12 grand each time you know i've heard of so many women accessing their super or refinancing their house and 
uh, I just wish that this IVF clinic was put more out there so that people know that it is affordable mm. and you can do it. So, And was it easy uh, to sort of get in with that clinic? I mean, I guess being a bulk billing clinic and one of the only ones would be a sought-after clinic. What was the process yeah. of getting so, on board with them? So basically um, when I called up and booked with them, they were fairly new, so not many people knew about them. So I think I only had, I think the original wait time was maybe two months mm -hmm. to get the first appointment, but you can also go on the cancellation list. Um, so because I'm a pre-existing client, each time we call up, you know, we pretty much get in within a month. Um, but I know for new clients, it's between two to three months, but it's worth the wait because you save so much money. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 not that much of a wait considering, which is good. Mm. And on your on the IVF topic, yep. um, if you could give one piece of advice to a mum who's about to embark on that journey, what would it be? Do something for yourself before you embark on this journey. Um, when I say do something for yourself, whether it's uh, – Dedicate one day to pampering or go away on a holiday. Do something that makes you happy and relaxed and do something for you because I'm not going to lie, IVF is hard. It is rewarding, but it is so hard on you physically and mentally. So be kind to yourself and do anything you can for yourself before and during IVF. That's my biggest advice. Yeah. yeah. And another topic what would you, what advice would you give uh, another mum who may have gone through the same situation as Theo what advice would you give to them um don't be too hard on yourself so one of the biggest things I found was the person who I was before I lost Theo she's long gone mm -hmm. um and I've spent months feeling bad because you know you kind of lose friends you lose friendships when you ha when you suffer such a great loss but it's only because you're adapting to everything around you um don't be hard on yourself it's not your fault and the new person that you are now embrace it because it's the person you are now is preparing you for what's ahead that's the thing that i can say amazing amazing yeah. advice yeah is there anything else that you'd like to add to your journey or pass on to another mama? Um, to the mums out there that are either experiencing IVF or going through this, um, I've found Instagram to be amazing. I have um, connected with people all over the world that are going through IVF that have suffered loss um, and being able to engage and speak with them, it has honestly helped me so if you girls are going through that and you know and you're kind of stuck in your shell don't ever feel ashamed you have to go through ivf and don't feel like you're alone connect with people because even though i haven't even met half these people around the world i feel like i know them better than most people here that are actually in my life so that's the best advice that i can give reach out and that's amazing. We'll share your Instagram too on the show yep. notes. So if anyone Beautiful. likes to contact that's you, it. they can. Yeah, I'm extremely open about everything. So I'm more than happy to help wherever I can. 
Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Rachel, and being so vulnerable and open about your story. We're crossing our fingers for you for baby number three. And now we'll have to get you back on the show. Yes, bring on December for the baby making. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much, Rachel. Wow. What an episode. What a woman. Rachel, I am in absolute awe of you. You are such a strong and beautiful mama. I think I can talk on behalf of the entire Maiden to Mother community that we are crossing our fingers for your next IVF journey and we'll be so excited to watch it unfold. If this episode brought up anything for you, the services that Rachel mentioned, you can visit. So Sands website is S-A-N-D-S, Panda, P-A-N-D-A, or Red Nose Australia. I'll link all of those services into the show notes. If you'd like to take a moment with me, would like to pay tribute to beautiful baby Theo born sleeping on the 6th of December, we will always remember you, baby Theo. Hold on, I still want you. Come back, I still need you. Let me take your hand, I'll make you right. I swear to love you all my life. Hold on, I still need you. Long in this highway, you silent beside me Driving a nightmare I can't escape from Helplessly praying, the light isn't fading Hiding the shock and the chill in my bones They took you away from the table I pace back and forth as you lay still They pull you in to feel your heartbeat can you hear me screaming? Please don't leave me. Hold on, I still want you. Come back, I still need you. Let me take your hand, I'll make you right. I swear to love you all my life. Remember, Mama, you're everything that your baby needs and you're doing an amazing job. 